If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to, or your um, app, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll continue to work through there this morning. If you're watching online, thank you for being with us. And if you're new here this morning, thank you for being here. I'm Bob, and uh, I, I get the opportunity to lead you this morning. Water's crooked. I don't know why water has to get crooked. You? Just asking questions. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you awake? You need to hear this. And turn back to them. You get to poke me if I start to sleep. All right? One of the beautiful benefits that I have of driving here and driving around the city while I'm here is I get to see the changing of the colors of the trees. Fall is one of my favorite times of the year. It's the culmination of everything that was planted in spring by faith. Vegetables, grains. And this is the time of year that farmers enjoy their fruits of their labors, and so do we. And speaking of forests, how many of you have ever heard the statement, you can't see the forest for the trees? At times in our lives, in our businesses, in our churches, we need to step back from the thick of our day-to-day events and stand back and take a bigger look at a picture view of the earth. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Can we see God at work? A kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom of children while they were drawing, and she walked around to see the artwork that the kids were doing. And she got to one little girl that was working diligently, and she asked that little girl, what are you drawing? She replied, replied, I'm drawing God. The teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat, and or even looking up the teacher, she said, they will in a minute. Our passage this morning is in first or second Corinthians. We're going to start in verse 20. If you got your notes with you, you can follow right along. We've already been standing, so I'm just going to read it for you while we're seated. Let's look into God's word, won't we? Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In him, that is what we preach and pray. The great amen. God's yes and our yes together gloriously evident. God's, God's, God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. And by his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. Don't miss those statements. A sure thing of what he is destined to complete. Let's carry on. We're not in charge of how we live out the faith. Looking over your shoulders, suspiciously critical. We're partners, working alongside you, joyfully expectant. I know that you stand by your faith and not by ours. That's the word of the Lord. Today I want you to know the bigger picture for your life and those around you. As a result of you knowing God's bigger picture, I want to invite you to consider doing these four actions that we have that we're going to look at this morning to help achieve the call of God upon your lives. 
So let's look at the first one. You ready? Let's go. Number one, hear God's heart for lost people. When each of us is faced with an interruption in life due to pain or some other issue, it causes us sometimes to take our eyes off of the bigger picture and just zero in on our own needs. And it's appropriate for a period of time. However, if we remain in this state for an extended period of time, our lives can be self-absorbed, isolated, or distanced causing us to lose the heart of God for lost people. Remember I shared with you that hope stands for hold on, pain ends. And when the pain dies, it will subside. We need to switch our perspective from looking inward to looking outward. Paul said this in that passage I just read for you. We're partners. Working alongside you joyfully expect. Partners with God and partners with each other. Paul reminds us that we are here on earth to help God reach lost people. In Luke chapter 19, we find the story of a short man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. A man that was despised not only for what he did, but for how he did it. He collected taxes, but it was well known that they were liars and cheaters and were getting rich on the backs of ordinary people. Then he gets to this internal pull in his life to check out this man whose name was Jesus, and so he shinnies up a tree to get a glimpse of the Son of God. Jesus comes along, steps below the tree, looks up and calls him down, and then proceeds to go to Zacchaeus' home. You can just hear the lips flap of the religious rulers. Why would he do such a thing? Does he know who he's going with? Does he know his reputation? Does he understand how the whole world hates these people? Godly people don't get their hands dirty. I've heard that a hundred times in my ministry. In your notes, the Bible says that Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For the man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. The lost. In another story, Jesus talks about a shepherd leaving 99 sheep to go to find the one sheep who was lost. He left the 99, the safe, the saved, the sanctified, to find the one that was lost. During these past several years, I've been studying the life of Jesus and his interactions with lost people. Currently, I'm going through the book of Mark. I'm just astounded at his encounters with sinful, sinful people because they're very interesting. He never once points out their sin. Oh, he pointed out the sin of the religious people, but they ought to have known better. They needed a good kick. But not the lost. They were drawn to him. And for the longest time, I wondered why. Because as I was seeking to live my Christian life and trying to lead the people of God, people weren't flocking to me like they flocked to Jesus. Not that I, make, I'm, not that I think I'm like Jesus, but what was it about him that people just had to see him? How to get close to him? Had to touch him? Then one day I discovered it. And when I saw this, I saw what they saw. 
they saw the purest form of unconditional love. You see, when the lost stood in Jesus' presence, they already knew their sin. They already knew that their life was messed up. They already knew that they were falling short. They already knew that what they were trying wasn't working. And what compelled them to fall at the feet of Jesus was his love for them. Friends, write this statement down in your notes. You cannot be loved until you're fully known. You cannot be loved until you're fully known. Zacchaeus understood Jesus knew him inside and out, and because of that, Zacchaeus went all in with Jesus. When lost people get a biblical picture of the unconditional love of God, they run to him. I can tell you stories of what I've experienced watching this happen in the last 12 years. Seeing people who don't know Jesus, weren't even close to Jesus, start running to Jesus when they get a clear picture of who Jesus is. What does God see? Well, he sees you loved. He sees you as being one with his son. He sees you as a son or a daughter, and he sees you as a treasure. What do you see? When someone fully knows you, do you want to be with them? That's why people came to Jesus. Look in your notes. This statement, so profound. We are most like beasts when we kill. We're most like men when we judge. We're most like God when we forgive. And when you add, and we're most like Jesus when we love. Three things you need to say to a prodigal who's left this church, who has left their relationship with Jesus, who's wandering, who's lost. Three things you need to say. We miss you, we need you, and we love you. And welcome them home like the father did with the prodigal son with his arms wide open. Welcome home. See, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in his second book. And in your notes, the Bible says, look at what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. God isn't late with his promise, as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself. Underline that. He's restraining himself on account of you. Holding back the end. And my goodness, when we see what's going on in this world, we don't think the end's too far away. Because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. You see, God in his great love is patient. He's restraining himself from prematurely claiming his children until all of his children are in his house. Friends, listen to me. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's tragic to me when believers start to separate themselves from the lost because they're afraid like they're going to get infected. In Jesus' day, people separated themselves from lepers. Jesus never did. I often wonder if we're treating lost people like they have leprosy. 
a few falls back. I was flying into Grand Prairie and never been there before, and the company's general manager that I had contacted was supposed to pick me up at the airport and drive me to the hotel where the meetings were scheduled and I was going to teach about leadership. I texted him when I landed, and minutes later he called me and said, I'm still in Edmonton. Well, I'm thinking, there's a problem with this. He said, I'd resigned, and the incoming general manager will be there. No worries. The ride met me, and I concluded, I conducted my business there, and I went back to the airport to fly home. And when I landed in Edmonton, and I had just stepped off the plane, my phone rang again. And here it was the old GM. He said he was at the airport, and he wanted to know if he could meet me so that he could put a name and a face together. And I agreed, and I went out through security and went out and found him. And he wanted to know how the day went, and he talked about my training. But within minutes, he said, I had to meet you. He had heard that I was a pastor. The HR ladies let it slip out. And he said, well, I resigned because I'm going to be the executive director for a Christian camp on Vancouver Island, he said. And then we exchanged the spiritual journey of many of the team members that were there in Grand Prairie. And, and he asked me, how do I share my faith with lost people? And here's what I said. So I say it to you today. I said, I dribble. I don't bump. I don't dump. Pardon me. When people ask me about my faith. I give them enough to be curious, but not enough for them to be cynical. I kind of bait them and then I wait for them works every time. I don't back up my spiritual truck and, well, since you asked about God, <clears throat> let him have it. Look at our passage. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Now, friends, you don't want me to tell you how many days until Christmas, but I want to share something with you. Please start thinking about who you can invite to be with you here during the Christmas season, especially Christmas Eve. And I'll be here. I'm looking forward to it. But, but here's what I want you to know, that when I walk through the lobby, I want to smell the smell of evangelism. You know what that is? Smoke and alcohol. Because here's what I know. When I smell that, I know lost people are with us because I've, I've had the experience where people sometimes have to drink before they come to church. But what that tells me is that they're here. For some people, that may turn you up, but for me, my heart starts to sing because we have caught the heart of God for the lost. Let Lost people, in your notes, lost people matter to God, so they ought to matter to us. First of all, we need to hear God's heart for lost people. Secondly, we need to overcome our pain to help others find relief. During the first 24 hours of my painful journey, I had a vivid dream like I could see it even this morning as I was reviewing my notes. 
I had a picture that God gave me that I was laid out in an operating, operating table and there were doctors and nurses all surrounded me and all I could see was my blood splattered all over them. It could have been just because I watched too many MASH episodes when I was growing up. But for some reason, when I was lying down, I was able to pick up my head and see the rest of my body. And it was as if someone had taken a knife and cut me from underneath my chin down to the tips of my feet. Everything was split open and exposed. And then I heard God say these words. I heard him say, what will you do now, Bob? And in my dream, I quickly responded. I said, do all the surgery that you need. I don't want to waste this pain. Redeem it. You see, I wanted to come out alive, and I wanted God to be able to, at some point, use my life to help others who were experiencing pain. So let me remind you from the words of Paul earlier in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians in your notes, all praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus, the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone who is going through hard times so that we can be there for the person just as God was there for us. And we have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah but no more than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. God allows pain in our lives, friends, to run to him and to walk alongside others. At some point, you and I have to decide what Paul did when he came to his senses and decided to learn from his painful experience and all his pain to be someone else's gain. Remember, your pain never leaves you the same. Don't allow it to be, to be a part of the life that makes you bitter. Allow it to be a part that makes you better and lets you benefit others because of your experience. It's not what happens to you, but what happens in you that counts. The best news is that you have the Holy Spirit in you as well to redeem and redirect your response to this, to this present and also your past experiences. Look in your notes again. Only Jesus can change. What's it say? A mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victor. It's time to stop accepting your life and start leading it and allow God to use you to encourage others to walk along this journey. So let's review. Hear God's heart for lost people. Overcome your pain to help others find relief. And thirdly, permit your story to be a witness to others. For several years during my pain journey, I said these words to countless Christian people. I know that I, now that I know pain, I feel more qualified than ever to minister to others. Ironically, I'm not in ministry anymore. For the longest time, that perplexed me deeply as I was trying to understand why I needed to be sidelined. But God knew. Being out of ministry allowed me to have a single focus on redeeming my pain to help others. It was just a timing issue. God wants you to know that story and to know your story. And it's his story. It's history in you. I know about your story, 
This is what I know. No one can dispute it. Dozens of people can dispute your political affiliation, but no one can say your story is not yours because it's yours. And God can use it. Let me illustrate this for you. Look at the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Ironically, Jesus and this woman are at the well simultaneously. It's not irony. It was God's providential work and plan of place. Recall this, this narrative. Jesus, again, does not condemn her, but reveals his unconditional love for her, and she is transformed, and she leaves her picture behind. And she runs into town. And when she comes back, read in your notes what the Bible says, and many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him, underline this part, because of the woman's witness. They knew all the things that I, he knew all the things that I did, she said. He knows me inside and out, and they asked him to stay on. So Jesus stayed two days. Many more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We need to hear it ourselves and know what's for sure, that he's the savior of the world. And just an aside, I'm finishing this series today. And in November, I'm going to be starting a series on our alliance distinctives. For those of you that don't have an alliance background, I'm going to be teaching you what it is that's uniquely alliance. What does, it, what does it mean when we say we're Circle Drive Alliance Church? What's our history? We're going to talk about that. The very first thing we're going to talk about is Christ is our Savior. But look back to the woman. What was her witness? That Jesus invited her to taste living water. He knew everything about her. Remember, you can't be loved until you're fully known. And she accepted his offer. No Bible college degree, no discipleship classes, just the testimony of her life experience with Jesus. You might be saying to me today, God can't use me. I'm a wreck. I know that God can redeem your life if you allow him to heal your your deepest wound. Trust me when I see this. My wound was profound. And then I learned this. It's in your notes. It may be encouraging to you. See this statement. One's most impact, one, one, our most impact comes from the place of our deepest wound. Our greatest impact comes from our deepest wound. And I could give you countless examples of people who allowed their woundedness to become their greatest platform for serving God. Just like the Samaritan woman we just talked about. You see, I can impress you with my successes, but I will impact you with my failures. God can use your failures to further his kingdom. He always does. Hear God's heart for lost people. Overcome your pain to help others find relief. Permit your story to be a witness for others. And lastly, exemplify how God can redeem your pain. 
what is one difference between you and your neighbor or you and your co-worker or you were your, with your wayward brother or sister? You both have to deal with life. We all, we all have to deal with what we've been dealt with. Our health, our finances, our kids, our relationships. But if you are a Christian and they are not, what influence do you have that they do not have? The Holy Spirit. That should give us a tremendous advantage. The greatest witness of the presence of God in your life is when you're walking through dark times and people see how you respond. That was the greatest witness of God in my life. When I was walking through my darkest hours, it was not what I said because I said very little. It was how I was acting how I was responding, how I was growing, and most importantly, how I was going through it. I was in the thick of it, and everyone around me was watching me. You see, here's what I know. I believe everybody reads the Bible. You're going to go, what? Some will pick up a Bible like this. Some will pick up a, a Bible app. But most others are reading you. You're the Bible to them. I'm the Bible to them. If we claim to be a part of God's family, that's what people read. And the older I get, the less that I listen to what people say and the more I watch what people do. For I have learned that what people do is truly a reflection of what they believe. You see, friend, in the crucible moments of our painful journeys, we verify to others our claim to be a Christian. That's why they can see the difference. That's why when they question how we sustain under all this pain, because they look at our lives and they go, if I was experiencing what you were experiencing, I would be lost and hopeless and desperate. That is why and when they question how you sustain under that kind of pain, that is when they seriously contemplate handling a curveball without God. You know, there's a great story, a bigger picture of work. When we read the story of Joseph, both he and Job became my friends on my journey. Joseph's life was a story of dips and dives and victories and setbacks and yet at the end of his life he faces his brothers who feared death due to his father's passing remember they were the ones that sold him into slavery at the beginning listen in your notes to what he said genesis chapter 50 joseph replied do not be afraid do i act for god you don't see you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. Easy now. You have nothing to fear, he says. I'll take care of you and your children. He reassured them, speaking to them heart to heart. Joseph said these plans benefited me to bless others. So God, the King of Israel, could be glorified. In your notes, God can turn your broken pieces into masterpieces. 
We can bless others when we see the big picture of how God allows him to use us. I want to close with this couple of verses from the prophet Isaiah 43. Isaiah is the book that describes the shortcomings of the people of Israel and yet at the same time contains one of the most comprehensive descriptions of the gospel of grace in the Old Testament. The people of Israel turned their back on God and God is extending grace to them and the question is will they accept that invitation or not? The Bible says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships that we're, they're so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. In your notes it says, but don't forget at all that is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. And he just described, friends, a whole list of incredible miracles that he did in the, for the people of Israel. And look at what he says. For I'm about to do something what does it say? New. See, I'm already begun it. Don't you see it? The message to the people of Israel is the same to us today. God is going to restore you. He's going to restore us. He's going to redeem your pain. He's already redeeming our pain as a church. That was yesterday. Today is a new day. Well, Pastor Rob, Bob, you don't know my story. Perhaps, but listen closely. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to keep pointing to the events of your failures. Change your focus. Look to Jesus who took your failures and paid your debt, who can turn it all around. Tell Satan to look at your life and declare, I'm a child of the king. I'm a trophy of God's grace. What you intended for evil, God is using it for good. I'm not perfect, but I'm in a process. I'm going to fail, but I'm not a failure. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You, can, you may not be able to change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. You may say, but Bob, I'm so far from God's love. Listen carefully. If you've lied like Abraham, God is willing to call you his friend. If you've cheated people like Zacchaeus, he's willing to befriend you in front of your enemies. If you've left home and blown all your money like the prodigal son, he's waiting for you with open arms. And if you've been despised like the Samaritan woman, he will sit down and he will talk with you and he will offer you living water. And if you've been caught in adultery, God will forgive you in front of your accusers. And if you've denied him like Peter, he will give you a second chance. If you are unclean, he will touch you. If you're in prison, he will visit you. If you are hungry, he will feed you. If you are the only one that was lost out of a hundred people, he will leave the 99 and he will find you. Friends, lift your head. God is about to do something new. Amen? For you, for your family, 
this church, this city, this country. My question for you this morning as I close. Who's ready to partner with God for a new thing? Are you? I encourage you to lean in. Will you pray with me? As I invite our worship team member to come. Bow your head with me, please. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to speak to us. What do you want us to do as a response to this message? Take a moment, friend. Listen to his voice speaking to you. Father, teach us to love the lost like you do. If you're listening to my voice, you don't know this Jesus that I've talked about this morning. You can. He's calling you to himself today. Just like that woman by the well. He can transform your hopelessness into hope today. Jesus, you know our wounds, our worries. And you still love each of us unconditionally. We marvel at that. Use us. Take our broken lives, our experiences, to be bold examples of your redeeming grace. Embolden us to share our story of your love and forgiveness and hope so that we can point others to you. And Holy Spirit, seal in our hearts and minds what you want to teach us. Transform us by your unspeakable love. May we lift our eyes. Look at the bigger picture and see that you are at work. That you're doing a new thing. And Lord, give us the privilege of entering in and partnering with you today and the days ahead. For we pray in the mighty, precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you folks.